Good morning, Trinity Church. How are we doing? Anyone stayed up too late watching the Olympics? Probably a bunch of you. Um, these are always such fun weeks to watch all those sports, really fun. Uh, my name is Hilke. I am the family pastor, and it is truly my privilege to share from God's Word this morning. Todd is in his last week of his uh, mini sabbatical. He'll be back in the saddle, uh, not April 1st, August 1st, um, and uh, we'll be glad to have him back with us. And then our elders have also been kind of on break during the month of July, but we should be getting another elder update sometime in the middle of August. And um, that will be good. Well, it is kind of the Olympic season these days, kind of fun. I've uh, watched a little bit of skateboarding yesterday. Uh, let's see what else did I watch. I watched some archery. And um, what else did I watch? I think that's about all I watched. I didn't watch a ton. Um, but this time, you kind of, there's an incredible performance by some incredible athletes. And I'll be the first to say, I am definitely not an incredible athlete. Um, I, am, I am just not. Athleticism, um, that gene must have skipped me or something. Um, I, I rocked, you know, JV tennis all the way, and that's, uh, that's about all I did. And, uh, but it's just amazing what these people are capable of. And, and even just considering some of their ages. You know, I, I believe one of the youngest competitors is, is uh, 12 or 13 years old. Just, just mind-blowing. Just incredible. Makes you wonder sometimes, what does it take to be an elite athlete like that? What kind of qualities, what kind of characteristics... Uh, kind of maybe there's some commonalities between these athletes, and researchers have done the research, and then they've identified a number, identified a number of different traits that, that kind of are markers of these elite athletes. And and then the first thing that comes to mind is just their ability, just for incredible concentration, just their ability to focus, just laser focus, to block out what's around them, and just have this incredible just situational awareness that even when, when, they're, when they're coming from behind, they're able to block that stuff and just focus on the goal with this incredible concentration. Another characteristic is their, their commitment to excellence. They literally spent hours, hours and hours a day perfecting their sport. Just working on the on just just minute little details to to just fine tune their their stride, their swing, their whatever athletes do. Because apparently I'm unaware, but um, they 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 just hours and hours a day. It, it's for for many of them, it is literally their full time job. With, but it's their commitment to to excellence. Partnered with that, they have this incredible intrinsic desire, this motivation, this, this motivation that, that allows them to keep, to keep getting up in the morning, even though what they're doing is pretty mundane a lot of the times. The Olympics is super exciting. Yes, yes, people cheer, or at least that was the plan, at least. Um, we just cheer behind our television sets, and that, that was like, that's an amazing moment in their career, but most of that time is whatever, swimming laps, running laps, the mundane. They have, that, they have this intrinsic desire, motivation, and incredible ability to set goals and crush them. 
They see a goal, and they just go after it. That, that, that even stirs their, their internal motivation. They also have an incredibly positive mindset. Optimists. They're probably optimists. How many of you guys are optimists? Anyone? How many of you guys are realists? That's right. I know what you're talking about. Um, but these guys are optimists. Maybe that's why I'm not an athlete, an Olympic athlete. That's probably the reason. Um, they have incredible confidence and self-belief. You have to. If you're going to compete at that level, you have to have confidence. Like, I got this. Self-confidence. And lastly, high-quality relationships and support. They don't compete alone. They've got people behind them, underneath them, around them, providing support. Those are just seven, there's probably more, different traits, markers of, of elite athletes. But what, what are some of the markers? What are some of these traits? What are some of the characteristics of a thriving disciple of Jesus? What is a true, authentic, what is a real disciple of Jesus look like? And there are three traits that come to mind. Here's where we're going this morning. It's captured in our now what? As a true disciple of Jesus, abide in his word, live free from the bondage of sin, and do works of obedience. That's where we're going. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 8. We're simply picking up where we left off last week with, with Pastor Bill. And we're really actually not just starting a new story. It's, it's the same narrative. We're really just picking up a continued conversation. This conversation is getting a little spicy. It's getting a little tense. Jesus is confronting uh, Jewish religious leaders and, and other Jewish uh, people that were present, just, just regular people. Um, they were very intrigued by Jesus. They were enamored by Jesus. They were interested in Jesus. And Jesus says, um, yeah, you guys are basically people of darkness. The light is not in you. I am the light of the world. And, um, and, and Jesus just kind of confronts their unbelief. And he's going to continue to do the same as the, as the conversation unfolds. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start reading verse 31. And I'd love to just read the entire passage to kind of give us a, a, a good overall uh, picture. And then we'll kind of go through it together. So let me read, starting at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we, be, we, that we will be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We just sang the sermon earlier. 
I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Well, well, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not, did not do such things. You are the, doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Let's pause right there. Things are getting spicy. It's getting pretty intense. There's a lot happening in this conversation. There's a lot being said, and there's a lot being not said, but implied. And it's really easy in these moments when we're reading our Bibles to kind of like, okay, yeah, this is one of those conversations. Jesus is going to kind of throw some truth bombs, a couple grenades, and just kind of blast the Pharisees or the religious leaders or just unbelieving Jews. And it's always good to be like, I am on Team Jesus, right? It's all Team Jesus all the way. This is going to be good. Like, strap in. There's some people about to be lit up by Jesus. And that's great and all, but, but I think we might be missing the point of why John, uh, the, the, the gospel author, is, is, is writing you know, to us this morning. I think he's challenging us not to be like, yeah, Jesus, go, go get him. But he would challenge you to, to grab a mirror and just to make sure that, that there's no unbelief in our own hearts. Is there evidence where we might be more like these religious Jews than we would care to admit. So that's my challenge to us this morning as we take a closer look to not just sit back and be like, let's see what Jesus does this time. It's going to be good. Don't get too comfortable. I don't want to get too comfortable. Allow Jesus to speak to us this morning. Verse 31 started off like this. To the Jews who had believed in him, to the Jews who had believed in him. So clearly, there is a measure of belief present. That's intriguing. But Jesus will continue to expose their unbelief. And then he says, You know, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So what does a genuine disciple look like? I think before we ask that question, we might need to just answer the question, what is a disciple? So here's a definition that can be found in, in your notes as well, and it says this. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. It's a pretty simple definition, and, and even simpler, you know, a, a follower, um, a disciple of Jesus is simply a follower of Jesus, but I believe that kind of, that definition maybe fills in some of the gaps. It is someone who is following Jesus, but also just being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. 
So now that we have our definition, what are some of those markers? What does it look like to be a thriving disciple or to be really a disciple, to use Jesus' words? And the first thing you'll note is that we abide. We abide in the word. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That word hold, uh, and probably that's the NIV, but in most other Bibles, it's, it's translated remain. If you remain or if you abide in my word, the word teaching there is long, it's word. If you, if you remain in my word, that's literally what it's saying, and um, this, this remain language it's really powerful. It's much more than just if you hold to my teaching, if you ascribe to my teaching. That is, that is, so, um, that, that is really far from what, what Jesus is saying. If you abide in my word. One commentator puts it this way. It is a co-participatory existence where the being of the believer is determined or regulated by Jesus. It is the depiction of an intimate relationship. It is co-participatory. It is intertwined. It is we are abiding in the word if we are really his disciples. How do we abide in the word? Here's a short list. It's not to be all-inclusive, but it's a pretty good start. We abide in the word by reading the word. When we read the Word, we're not just reading a book. We're not just reading um, Harry Potter. We are reading the living, active, powerful Word of God. And by reading, we are abiding, listening to the Word. We are listening to the Word even as we gather on Sunday mornings. I would challenge you to, if you haven't done this, listen to an audio Bible at some point. Maybe in your commute, if you got 15 minutes, listen to God's word, and you will find yourself abiding in Jesus. It's powerful. Meditating on the word. So, so we read, we listen, but even sometimes it's really helpful just to slow down, to think, to pause, to, to read prayerfully, thoughtfully, to read repeatedly and see what the Word of God is saying to you through the Spirit. We sing the Word. We sang the Word this morning that when a son sets free is free indeed. That is the Word that we are singing to one another and to God. We are abiding in the Word this morning through singing. You can abide through singing in your car. Put on some Spotify. Put on some worship tunes and abide by singing the word, praying the word, to, to, to seek out God's promises, to, to seek out prayers in the Bible that you can personalize and pray for yourself or for your family and loved ones. We abide in the word, not just by listening and taking in, but also by applying, by doing the word, by sharing the word, sharing with others, sharing with our family, what God is teaching you, sharing the word. 
Again, the picture here is, is this, this co-participatory, intertwined relationship where, where Jesus is, is really guiding and determining your life. That's what we're after when we abide. When we abide in the Word. And when we abide in the Word, this happens. Verse 32. This is powerful. Then you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? And the truth will set you free. This is incredible. Not only do we have just wonderful fellowship with Jesus and an intimate relationship with Jesus as we abide in the Word, but there's more. It's like the infomercial, but wait, there's more. If you abide in the Word and you know the truth, the truth will bring freedom to your life. And this word know is not just intellectual knowledge, but it is a deep understanding and experience of the truth. The truth of God's word and his revealed word, but first and foremost, it, it's, it's the truth of the gospel that has, has um, set you free from your bondage to sin. It is this deep experiential, relational knowledge to Jesus and the gospel that will set you free. Free from spiritual darkness. Free from the bondage of sin. Free to be the person that you were created to be. Does that sound like good news? That sounds like good news to me. That sounds like fantastic news. And we're going to unpack more of that good news. But you have to look at verse 33 and be like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? They answered him. I'm not sure if they huffed and puffed, but I'm kind of imagining that they did. They crossed their arms and they said... We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? He says, we don't need freedom from anything. We're good. They are spiritually blind. They do not see and recognize their need for a savior. They don't accept the good news. They challenge it. Their spiritual pride is in the way. They will not allow themselves to be humbled. So then Jesus probably kind of like, he kind of looks at them. And he brings 34. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, You've probably heard that phrase, haven't you? It pops out through all, throughout the gospel accounts. Um, very truly I tell you. You better put your listening ears on. Open up your eyes. Put that thinking cap on. Because Jesus, whenever he says this, very truly I tell you, he is about to deliver some incredible spiritual truth. Not to be missed by the original audience, and not to be missed by us. So he says, very truly I tell you, 
everyone. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What does that mean to us? There's no exclusions. There's no exceptions. No one is immune from the enslavement of sin. Everyone is impacted as a consequence of sin. One commentator puts it this way. Not only does the practice of sin prove that one is a slave to sin, but the practice of sin actively enslaves. The practice of sin actively enslaves more and more, deeper and deeper. The, 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 the shackles get tighter and tighter. But then Jesus says, he's got, he's got more good news. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family because they're a slave. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You don't have to be a slave. You can be a son. You can be a child of God and be free forever. Because it says, but a son or daughter belongs to it forever. Forever made right with God. Forever free from the wages of sin. So another mark of a true disciple, if you are really my disciples, you will abide in my word, it says, and you will live free from sin. And there's two ways to apply this truth. First application is really to our salvation, the gospel, recognizing that as humans, we stand condemned because we have a huge sin problem. No matter who you are in this room, myself included, we have a sin problem and that sin problem is a huge problem before a holy God. And that sin problem is separating us from God for all eternity. That sin problem is leading us towards eternal separation from this perfect holy God. But through Jesus, the Son, He has made a way for us to be restored in relationship to the Father through the cross, through his sacrificial death on that cross. He died for my sin. He died for your sin. Our sin was placed upon his shoulders, and the wrath of God was satisfied so that we could be made right with God. So the first application is our salvation that our sin has been dealt with once and for all. So when Jesus died, before he died, he, he exclaimed these words. He says, it is finished. And then he didn't stay dead. He rose, proving that he was victorious over sin and death, that he truly could be our Savior. 
You can respond to this offer of salvation even this morning, even right now. We use the ABCs to admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I am unable to save myself, to be, believe, believe that Jesus is the only Savior available, that He died in my place. See, to choose, choose to follow Him. Again, that, that's that discipleship word. Choose to follow Him, to be changed by Him, to embrace His mission, to let your life be, be regulated and guided by Him. That is the response that is required of the gospel. And you can do that even this morning. We'd love to pray for you even after the service. You can, you can literally respond to God even in the quietness of your own heart. But just like the infomercial, but wait, there's more. There's more application that the Son has set us free. It's, 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 it's salvation, but it's also sanctification. This is sanctification is a fancy church word that basically means the process of becoming more like Jesus. Before you meet him face to face in heaven. This process of sanctification, of becoming more holy, becoming more holy, that's really what this means. This process, these verses have much to say about that. To bring freedom from the mastery of sin over your life. I believe that, 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 that many Christians are in need of a spiritual Juneteenth. It's been declared that you have been set free from slavery, but you're not living it. You haven't experienced it. We become very competent at managing our sin. And when we manage our sin, that is not freedom from sin. No one in this room is sinless. But every single person in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, can be free from sin. Free from the slavery of sin. I know this because I've lived it. I was an excellent sin manager. I was good. I had been trained, you know, professionally, a professional Christian. But I also knew when I read words like this, that if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. There was more. I believe you too might be really good at managing sin, keeping from it getting it too out of control. Or maybe you're really good at minimizing your sin. You know, it's, I've, I've, I know I've got an anger problem, but so did my dad and his dad. It's kind of a family thing. Well, sounds like we got some work to do. Sounds like we have, uh, we need some renovation of the heart that, that the Spirit of God can truly do in you. Maybe it's a habitual just sin of pride or lust. Oh, I mean, all guys struggle with that. That's not freedom. And if the Bible says that I can live in freedom, it seems such a cheap sellout to settle for managing my sin when I can live in freedom. 
so easy to, to minimize and kind of live in this state of denial. It's not that bad. And Jesus says, you are a child of God. You're not a slave to sin. You're not a slave to sin. It's been declared. He says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I believe that God can offer instant freedom from even habitual sin. I have friends who are alcoholics, turn to Jesus, boom, no longer alcoholics. He can do it. There's many others where maybe their struggle with alcohol has been a process of walking towards sobriety. Through, the, through this sanctifying power of Jesus in their lives, one step at a time, or about 12 steps, I'd say, um, <laughs> to where they are finally made whole and experience freedom. I know, guys, if, if you've ever done a, a renovation project in your home, renovation projects seem so exciting at the time. You're like, oh, we should do this. It's going to be awesome. And then, and then you're like, you, you find out how much it costs. You're like, oh, man, now we should probably do it. It's good for the equity. Um, but then it, it always takes way more money and so much time, so many resources, and your house is torn up, and it is just a mess. You're like, is this really worth it? And we're like, oh, and then, and then the final product, you're like, oh, this is amazing. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Oh, really? Would you? Um, would you? Really? Um, I believe many Christians are, in, are still in need of a renovation of the heart. Dallas Willard wrote a book <laughs> called Renovation of the Heart. That's a great picture of, of, of what I, I see when, when it comes to verses like this where we see that who the sun sets free is free indeed. I believe that is 100% true. I think some of us may need a renovation project of the heart to experience it. It's going to take time, resources, investment. It's going to take other people. If I do a renovation project, I need other people, like, basically to do work. I'm like, I'll hand you the tools, you know, tell me which one you need, and then Actually, just point to the one you need because I don't know really the names. But I need other people to, to help me with renovation stuff. You probably do too. Especially when it comes to areas of just deep patterns, well-established habits of sin in our lives. It starts with abiding in the Word to know the truth and to experience the truth and say, God, I, man, I want that truth. I don't know how, but I, I am powerless to change my heart. But I pray that this truth would change my heart, that you would change my heart, that the truth would set me free. And my call this morning is don't settle for anything less. 
Jesus continues up, continues to turn up the spice here. 37, he says, I, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. He's implying that their father is the devil, by the way. Not, that's pretty intense. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you are Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. Did you catch what Jesus is doing here? He said, you might be a descendant of Abraham, establishing your physical lineage, but you are not Abraham's children. You are not part of his spiritual lineage. You are not part of his spiritual inheritance. Why? Because you don't follow in the pattern of Abraham's faith and obedience. What you're doing is you're trying to kill me. Abraham would never kill me, he's saying. You are doing the works of your father, the devil. He's going to make that crystal clean in verse 44, and Todd will, will share that next week. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. What's going on? You are doing the works of your own father. Because here's the next mark of a true disciple. A true disciple, if you're really my disciples, Jesus says, you abide in my word, you live free from sin because the Son has set you free, and because of that, you do the works of obedience. Notice with me, though, where do the works of obedience fall in this Mark, this list, last, last, it starts by abiding, which leads to the truth, knowing the truth, understanding the truth, the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, so we can experience freedom from sin and salvation, but also in, in our everyday lives of following Jesus. And as a result of the work of God that He has done in you, you are free to do works of obedience. Simply put, I am a child of God, therefore I do the works of obedience. I don't do works of obedience so I can be a child of God. It doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way. We don't do so we can be a child of God. Jesus has already done it all. There's not enough good for you to do because you're too bad. You're too messed up. You're too broken. You need a Savior outside of yourself, a perfect Savior you need Jesus to make you whole, to set you free. And when he does that, you do the works of obedience. By contrast, these people are seeking to kill Jesus. Their disobedience betrays their unbelief. And that's really where our conversation pauses for this morning. So in our now what? As we've already shared. If you are really my disciple, as a true disciple, Jesus says, abide in his word, live free from the bondage of sin, and do the works of obedience. 
I took my wife to New York City for her birthday, and we had an amazing time. It was awesome. And we, we downloaded like some apps to do some walking tours. We'd never been there before. And um, we, we, we saw all the sites. It would give us, it was actually really good. I, I'm not sure what the protest was about there, little guy. Um, it was awesome. And, and it, was, it was like, you know, turn left, and it would tell us about stuff, and we'd listen, or we'd read, and it just gave us an amazing experience of New York City. We, we never got lost. We just followed the map. We, we followed this guidance. Uh, we, we, we just, and we took it all in. It was amazing. The, the, uh, the guidance never felt like it was squashing our freedom to explore. No, it kept us from getting lost. It, ke- it kept us, it made sure that we saw all that New York City had to offer with all of its wonderfulness. It was so cool. It was an amazing trip, but we had some really good directions that, that we, if you will, abided in. It, it was like we were anchored there, and, and it, just, it just opened up New York City to us. I want to direct your attention to verse 31. It's where we started. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. The first part. To the Jews who had believed, what do we make of the Jews' faith? It said they believed. Are we sure about that? I want to give you four categories of faith. And don't just look at, 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 the, at the, the, the people in this story, those Jewish believers. Hold up a mirror. Hold up a mirror. And these four categories of faith, it's really from another story Jesus told in Matthew 13 about the soils, the parable of the, the sower, and the four soils representing people's hearts and response to, to, to the Word of God. The first category I'm going to call fickle faith. It's a fickle faith. They hear the Word, but they do not understand. They hear it with their ears only, and that is it. I believe that's where these, these, these Jewish believers were. They did not understand. They're like, oh, maybe some more free lunch. We love lunch. The next category is a superficial faith. Jesus talks about in Matthew 13 that it has no root. It has no root. It's not, it's not going to last but for a minute. It might seem very exciting for a minute, but then it kind of wilters. This next category is very concerning, a divided faith. These people, they, they, they hear the message, they hear the word, they they like, oh yes, I, I, I really like this stuff, but then when the worries of this world come, and, and wealth, and, and the concerns, that and, and the things that this world has to offer, they become torn, and they start to be like, oh, what do I do? And, and then ultimately, I, I think I'm better over here. But then this genuine faith. They hear, Jesus says, and they understand. They have this knowledge that's not just intellectual, but experiential and relational. 
and their life produces fruit, it says a hundred times, 60 times, 30 times. Fruit producing, thriving disciples. These Jews were fickle, but it's only a genuine faith that will last and produce fruit. Where are you at in your journey of following Jesus? We have sang, sung the word this morning together. You, the sun sets free, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Man, that is the truth of Scripture. We have looked at John chapter 8, and Jesus again um, spoke those words. That you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you are not following Jesus, what's holding you back? The people that Jesus was talking to, they had lots of reasons why they didn't want to follow Jesus, and they didn't. But what about you? Are you ready to take that step of faith? We'd love to walk with you in that journey. We'll have some people to pray here up front, and they'd love to pray with you even just to to receive Jesus, to start this journey of following Jesus. Would you come pray with someone? If you were invited by someone, maybe say, hey, thanks for inviting me, and I'd I'd love to to respond to to that message that the tall, skinny guy gave. There's probably also a a lot of Jesus followers in this room, isn't there? Are you in need of a spiritual Juneteenth? You've been set free from the bondage of sin. But there's some areas in your life where you're not experiencing that freedom. And sometimes that that can be even a a challenge to, to admit. And I will say, as a church, capital C church, big C church, we haven't always done a great job of creating an atmosphere where brokenness is okay. And if you felt that, I'm sorry. Because that's not the heart of Jesus. If you need freedom from addiction, freedom from patterns of lust, anger, we'd love to minister to you in those vulnerable places. Reach out to one of our pastors and say, I'd I'd love to have a conversation. Shoot me an email. I'd love to have a conversation. If you feel like that some of your challenge that you're facing uh, maybe even requires some, some professional help, let's get it figured out. Let's get you walking in freedom that Jesus promised. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this morning, for your word that speaks powerfully, gently, but also confronts with truth in love and in grace, but with truth nonetheless. 
So, Father, I pray that, that you would speak to us through your spirit, just stirring in our hearts, challenging us, convicting us, emboldening us to humble ourselves before you in our brokenness. Oh, Father, you have called us to so much more than just managing our sin, keeping it under control. You have called us to freedom. And I pray that for my brothers and sisters. I pray that for myself. Father, I pray that we would abide in your word, that we would absolutely live in this amazing life of freedom and live lives of obedience that would bring you praise, that would bring a smile to your face. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.